Welcome back to Climate Champions, a podcast series running alongside our broader content series, Turning the Tide. Over the last few months, we've been taking the time to have one-on-one conversations with people living on small island developing states. We've been asking them about what impact they're seeing as a result of climate change issues and talking to them about the initiatives and solutions they're a part of to tackle it. From Fiji to Jamaica, so far we've heard about inspirational volunteer groups, youth-led initiatives and mighty wins in protecting coral and the relocation of villages. From presidents to passionate volunteers, we've been hearing firsthand what life is really like when your home is threatened by rising sea levels, extreme weather events and rises in temperature. My name is Naomi Mahara, a producer here at DevEx, and this week we have another climate champion for you, this time in the Maldives. Lying just south of India, the Maldives is an archipelago of 26 atolls, each with their own subset of smaller islands. Rising sea levels mean the country could be completely underwater by the end of this century. That may seem way off for us, but for the next generation it's all too soon a deadline. On top of that, there's the constant risk of a tsunami, resource depletion through overfishing, and the death of coral reefs. It's a precarious situation, affecting livelihoods as well as the environment. But before we completely depress you, there is hope yet. Organisations are working hard to tackle the Maldives' biggest environmental problems, and Blue Marine Foundation is one of them. It's a charity dedicated to restoring the ocean to health by addressing overfishing, restoring marine habitats, and securing marine protected areas, all in a bid to protect places like the Maldives. Shaha Hashim is the field project manager for Blue Ocean Foundation's Maldives project, based in Lamu Atoll. Prior to joining the organisation in 2016, she worked with UN agencies for eight years in various project management roles. She's a keen scuba diver and so sees on a regular basis the impact of climate change on marine life. She sat down with Rebecca Root, reporter at DevEx, to talk about the consequences of climate change on the people of the Maldives, particularly in the area of oceans and what measures have been put in place to tackle these issues. As you know, Maldives is a big ocean state. 99% of the country is uh, covered by oceans. And within this 1% of land, um, 80% of our islands are less than one meter above sea level. Just this month, uh, we are experiencing unprecedented uh, swell surges in many islands across the Maldives. We have already experienced a mass coral bleaching event um, in 1998 when 90% of our corals completely died out. And in 2016, we experienced a second event um, which affected 70% of the corals. And this year, which is a non-Elmino year, we've also seen a lot of bleaching across the Maldives. But because um, the country was in lockdown. Um, we didn't manage to document uh, much of what, what was changing, but uh, the photos and videos that are available on social media uh, shows that um, a lot of them has died this year as well. We've made remarkable progress in protecting uh, the bigger marine species um, such as sharks, rays, turtles, dolphins, and whales. 
but um, we are very far behind on reef resources management. Um, since the introduction of the tourism in the 1970s, uh, the exploitation levels have increased. Um, reef fishery is very poorly stu studied and understood. So we don't know um, the level of exploitation, but we know that their populations are decreasing. So a lot of work needs to be done to manage this fishery properly in order to increase um, the resilience of uh, the natural ecosystems that provide um, ecological services to our islands. You've mentioned tourism a few times. Has that, in the past, has that had a negative effect on um, the environmental status of the Maldives? So tourism um, expanded really fast, really quickly in the Maldives. Um, prior to 1960s, uh, no one believed that tourism could actually flourish in the Maldives because the islands are so geographically separated. Um, there was not much infrastructure or services. But ever since the introduction of tourism in the 1970s, um, it has uh, expanded so fast, so quickly, that it's uh, at an unsustainable uh, level uh, at the moment. In the 1970s, um, we had uh, 33,000 visitors, but today uh, we have more than 1.5 million visitors annually. And the number of resorts have also increased um, Right now, I think we have close to 150 resorts, but this number is set to double um, in the next few years. So that means uh, there'll be more pressure on um, natural resources. Uh, in the central atolls, uh, there are no more uh, uninhabited islands. So they are planning to, they are already reclaiming um, a lot of coral reef lagoons to build artificial islands to cater to the increasing visitors. And um, so are there measures in place to make sure that any tourism that does happen remains sustainable and, and doesn't have consequences on the environmental challenges that the, that the country is already facing? At the moment, the management is really weak. There is um, some guidance on um, managing the environment when developing the resort, but these are very weak and very old, but uh, they are in the process of revising these guidelines. There is no like mandatory uh, reporting mechanism on environmental issues, so resorts can uh, fish as much as they want without having to report to uh, any authority. Um, and so what kind of consequences do these issues have on the people of the Maldives? So these are the climate change issues that I mentioned are the, uh, the biggest issues that we face um, and we'll face huge uh, consequences because of this. Uh, coral reefs are important for our livelihoods um, and food security as well as to the existence of these islands. So without these islands, um, we I think we are very close to being climate refugees if, if we don't act now. I think most of the Maldivians are in denial that this can actually happen, but we are seeing an increase um, in people talking about this issue on social media.
but at the moment uh, the policy makers are, are more focused on mitigation rather than adaptation which is very scary to think about and also there'll be a lot of economic losses for the tourism sector as well as the fisheries sector and so what kind of measures are being put in place to kind of reduce the impact that, that these issues are having on the people of the Maldives? I think we are doing very well um, with political ambition. Um, in terms of uh, Maldivian commitments, we have committed to um, increase marine protection um, by 10% by 2020. Um, and the new government's strategic action plan um, is very much focused on the blue economy. But unfortunately, uh, progress has been very slow, and this is very worrying for um, conservationists like myself. Um, less than 1% of the ocean is actually protected at the moment. Um, up until very recently, the only MPAs were a small dive sites, which were protected for tourism purposes. We have more than 50 sites protected for various reasons, but management is not effective, um, with many of them uh, not having a management plan. Like even some of them are being destroyed for various development projects as well. So at the moment, um, management is very weak, but the government has been working on uh, new protected areas and trying to improve the uh, environment governance. But I feel that um, it may be too little too late if we don't act now. Um, tell, tell me about the work that the Blue Marine Foundation is also doing. How is it helping to contribute to, to tackling some of these issues? So the reason uh, why many of the MPAs don't work in the Maldives is because uh, we have a very centralized administration. Most of the ministries are based in the central um, atoll in the capital, Male. So these outer atolls are very neglected um, and there aren't enough technical uh, resources available um, to design and manage uh, marine protected areas. So we work with um, the local councils, fishermen, schools, community and the uh, local business stakeholders to increase the knowledge at the no local level as well as strengthen their capacities um, to govern um, in an atoll-based uh, management system. This is a long-term investment. Um, so I think the work we have carried out in the last uh, two to three years have um, strengthened their capacities to a level that they want to um, implement marine protected areas in their atoll. Um, just last year, the local atoll council uh, pledged to protect uh, five of the areas that we've been working on. So that's very good progress and we hope um, that soon uh, we can work with national stakeholders to uh, make this a reality. And from the work that you've been doing, I'm, I'm imagining that you know, you've picked up lots of lessons learned. And, and so I'm wondering, do you have any advice for other countries or other organizations about how they can also tackle similar issues that they might be facing? 
Yeah, I think um, other island nations need to uh, think about their long-term futures now rather than delaying it for tomorrow. Climate change is very real and it's very scary. We cannot change the behavior of other nations, but uh, we can change what we do to protect ourselves. And we need to do all that we can to make sure that we are resilient to the changes uh, that we know are coming our way. There's no time left for us to base decisions on economic growth um, that does not guarantee prosperity for us. I think many other island nations uh, also rely heavily on fisheries and tourism, but very few manage these industries well. More tourism doesn't necessarily equal to um, equal prosperity equal prosperity and more fishing in the absence of management is, is very short-sighted. So I think uh, we need to focus on creating uh, more effective marine protected areas, areas that are off limits to fishing so that fish can grow and breed successfully. Um, we also need to manage where we fish, how we fish um, and what fishing gears we are using. Um, and also manage uh, when we fish. I think we need to foster the tourism industry in a way uh, it benefits us rather than um, the foreign investors. Um, we would benefit from targeting high-spending individuals um, who value environment rather than low-cost uh, package holiday holidays. Um, and I think we also need to implement caps on number of tourists that can visit us um, so that we can grow and, grow and prosper, but not at the cost of our environment. Really interesting to hear about some of the major challenges the Maldives is facing with regard to managing marine protected areas and creating a sustainable tourism industry. And also, um, it's worrying, you know, the lack of well-enforced regulations around that. Um, obviously, the Maldives is known for kind of high-end luxury tourism. Uh, so I guess it's sort of an extreme example of what many island nations are facing or could be facing if they don't put environmental sustainability at the heart of their plans for tourism development and economic growth. And last month in the last episode, Ambassador Uludong of Palau also kind of touched upon this and how Palau is really trying to put environmental sustainability at the centre in their plans to develop the tourism sector. So yeah, Shaha really laid out some real challenges there, but also it's it's encouraging to hear that there are organisations like the Blue Ocean Foundation who are pushing for better management and, and stronger regulations. If you want to hear about more people like Shaha who are fighting climate impacts on their small islands, you can listen to our previous episodes or keep an eye out for the upcoming ones. Plus, you can check out turningthetide.devex.com where you'll find more articles and content on this topic. Thanks for listening.